Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. morning, everyone. It was just a month ago I had the honor of leading the preschoolers in a celebration on the story of Easter. And today I'll share on John 19 this same story of the Savior's crucifixion, death and burial. And I'll parallel John's account as prophecy of the Old Testament fulfilled here in the book of John. This passage follows what we learned last week of John's account of chapter 18 of the accusation and judgment during the trial of Jesus's accusers. On the one hand, the prophecy of the occurrence reveals the accomplishment of God's will and God's sovereign plan. And on the other hand, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy at the hands of these religious leaders and political leaders reveals man's dark, and false conception and approach. We will see through the trial and accusation, this is a people who chose not to believe and chose the wicked side of criminalizing a just and innocent man. The prophecy of this occurrence reveals God's sovereign plan and the fulfillment at the hands of the religious and political reveals man's dark and false approach. Much of this story takes place at Pilate's Hall with a crowd of people from Judea and Jerusalem where the religious leaders were in control. We learned at the end of chapter 18 that during a trial of the accused that it was customary for them to release a criminal at Passover, yet they rejected the most just one and chose to release a robber. How blind they were. They were veiled by their religion and with their hatred. And then we have the Gentile politician, Pilate, who knew and declared that the Lord Jesus had no fault. He had no fault, yet he still sentenced him to death in order to please the people and the crowd. How political he was. Here we see religion and politics working together together to pronounce the unjust sentence upon Christ to accuse one who had no fault. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. John 19 Verses 1 through 3 says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. Back in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, sin had brought thorns and thistles into the world, so it was only fitting that Jesus wear a crown of thorns as he bore the sins of the world on the cross. 
he was brought back out and Pilate continued back and forth to the people and back to Jesus to question him. Pilate, as governor of the Roman Empire, although he knew what was right and what was wrong, he was afraid of the people. Pilate found no fault in the Lord Jesus. He tried several times to release him and wash his hands of this event. In verse 6, we read that he found no fault in Jesus. Yet, after further accusal from the people, he went back to him. The religious leaders used their own laws, insisting in verse 7, We have a law, and by our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Had they taken the time to allow the Son of Man to reveal himself, they would not have allowed themselves to partake in this, this world, worldly way of thinking. Then Pilate said to him, so Pilate came back to Jesus and he said to him, where are you from? Then are you not speaking to me? Jesus did not answer even one word to him so that the governor was greatly amazed. Isaiah in the Old Testament prophesied that Jesus would not make an effort to defend himself at the trial. Isaiah 53 and seven says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Then we see in verse 15 and 16, the people yelled, crucify him, crucify him. Then he delivered them, delivered him to, to them to be crucified. Pilate knew that the Lord had done nothing wrong, but he chose to follow the masses, to follow the voices of the people, and he was not faithful. He knew that the Lord Jesus was sinless and declared that he could not find anything wrong with him. But because of his fear of the Jews, he condemned the Lord and sentenced him to death. Now, during this time, the Jewish method of execution of criminals, according to their law, was to stone him to death. But the Jewish nation was not in power when the Lord was crucified. So the Roman government at this time had adopted crucifixion as the method of executing criminals. I'll continue to show this pattern that from the human point of view, this accusation and trial of Jesus was the greatest crime in history. From the divine point of view, it was the fulfillment of prophecy and the accomplishment of God's will. The fact that the sovereign God had planned and prophetically revealed that this would take place does not absolve the participants from their responsibility. Acts 2.23 tells us, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. This use of the cross for crucifixion was not this glorious symbol, but that of shame and suffering. He was not only put to death in a place of insult and shame, but he was also ranked with transgressors, being dealt with as one of the transgressors. As Isaiah had prophesied in Isaiah 53:12, he was counted among the tra transgressors. And this was fulfilled in John 19, verse 17. He went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called Golgotha, where they crucified him and the two others with him on either side and Jesus in the center. It was also required at this time that the criminal bear a placard on their cross announcing their crime. Their, and in Jesus' case, his supposed crime. 
In verse 19, Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. I've read in some studies that the Hebrew represents religion, Latin represents politics or law, and Greek represents culture. So together we see these three represent the entire world of mankind. But Jesus, as the Lamb of God, was accused, mocked, and scorned by, but yet, for us, for mankind. The wickedness of this carnal or man-made idea of the culture is furthermore proven next as the soldiers took Jesus' garments after he was hung on the cross and divided and gambled for them. The parting of the garments was also prophesied by David. In Psalms 22 and 18, he wrote, they divide my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. And this was fulfilled in verse 24 of John 19. Then they said to one another, let us not tear it, but let us cast lots for it to determine whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my lots among them and they cast lots for my vesture. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. In addition to these events, the Bible shows us other scenes where the people abjectly rejected their king. In the Old Testament, when Israel asked for a king and gave them Saul, they had rejected God as their father. When this crowd asked for Barabbas, who was a robber, they rejected God the son. May we not reject his Holy Spirit. Next, we will hear what are known as Jesus' last seven phrases, known as the seven words from the cross. In John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, it says, while Jesus was being crucified, while suffering on the cross, he suffered, uh, he suffered gracefully, he gave grace. He saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing by, and he said to his mother, woman, Behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. He was so concerned. It was just amazing to me how Jesus showed so much compassion and concern while he is literally hanging on the cross. He made sure that there was someone to take care of his mother. While John does not mention this, I want to note that the other gospel accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke mentioned that while the Lord was on the cross, he spoke to a sinner, especially to the thief who was redeemed and forgiven. In the midst of his suffering and sacrificing, he did this with grace, with love, attention to his mother, and to one of the thieves crucified with him. His first words, set of words spoken on the cross were, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Then in Luke 23 and 43, the Lord said to one of the two thieves crucified with him, today you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus' final words that he spoke, so there were seven words, the final words that he spoke focused on his body, his soul, and his spirit. In another Psalm, David had prophesied that they would give Jesus vinegar to drink. So in Psalm 69 and 21, it says, they also gave me gall for food and in my thirst, 
they gave me vinegar to drink. John 19.29 says, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth after he said, I thirst. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is, it, it is finished. And this spoke of his, his soul. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. David also prophesied Jesus' last words in Psalm 22 and 31. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be yet born. And he has done this. The Hebrew literally reads, for it is finished. And Psalms 31 and 5 speaks of um, where David says, into your hands I commit my spirit. And this directly parallels with John 19 and 30, where he states, where the verse states, therefore, when Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And after bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. What was done next is also prophesied in, in scripture. As no bone of the Passover lamb must, was to be broken, not a bone of his would be broken. Psalm 34 and 20 states that he keeps all of his bones and not one of them is broken. And we see this fulfilled at the end of John 19. That says, then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first one and the legs of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. For these things took place so that the scripture might be fulfilled, not a bone of him shall be broken. Zechariah prophesied that his, in the Old Testament prophesied that his body would be pierced with a, with a spear. Zechariah 12.10 says, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And this directly parallels with John 19.34 and 37 that says, but one of the soldiers had pierced his side with a spear and immediately water and blood had come out. As we know, and here we see the work of the cross, Jesus shed his blood. He offered himself as a sin offering for the world. He willingly gave his life for us. Even though these leaders, the, the crowd of people took his life, Jesus also of God's divine power gave his life for us. Jesus had also clearly announced his crucifixion through the book of John. The slaying of the lamb, oh, he men it mentions the slaying of the lamb in chapter 1. The destroying of the temple in chapter 2. The lifting up of the serpent in chapter 3. The, the shepherd laying down his life for the sheep in 10. And the planting of the seed in the ground in chapter 12. His death was voluntary. He willingly dismissed his spirit, he gave himself, he offered himself as a ransom, as a sacrifice to God, and as a propitiation or payment for our sin. When he gave himself on the cross, he paid our debts in full. Surely um, he has borne our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we ourselves are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet the Lord willed to crush him, and he has put him to grief. You shall make his life an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. And then the, and, um, this is coming from Isaiah 53. And then verse 11 says, he shall prolong his days. And that the purpose of the Lord might prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul. He shall be fully satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. And he shall bear their iniquities. In the final verses of John chapter 19, Joseph, a follower of Jesus and Nicodemus, who was a recent believer as we learned earlier in the book of John, took the body of Jesus and bound him in strips of linen with spices as was customary for burial and laid him in a tomb in a garden. Although we learn about the resurrection next time in chapter 20, this is something to celebrate. Just as we use the symbol of the colorful yet empty Easter egg at Easter time to teach children the significance of the empty tomb we can celebrate this life-giving event of the sacrificial cross knowing that Jesus paid it all for us, that he is risen, that he is alive and living. Second Peter 1 and 3 says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us his own glory to his own glory and excellence. I encourage us to live graciously as Jesus did. After studying this lesson, I had to ask myself, am I walking out my life with grace? Maybe there's some sacrificial living as you love and you sacrifice your time or give up your personal preferences for others, for your children, for your family, for work, for your responsibilities. Jesus, as a model of grace, is asking for us to do the same to do this with grace and graciously, which is in a pleasant manner. I invite you to receive and share in God's grace to believe and receive him. If you've not known Jesus as your savior, please accept this invitation today. Thank him for taking away or taking all of your sins upon himself. I invite you to enjoy Jesus greatly. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram.